Maraming salamat. Magandang umaga sa iyong lahat. Malagayang Sabado. Pwede salita ko sa Tagalog. Uh, siguro, papunta tayo lahat sa Philippines kailangan na salita sa Tagalog. Tama? Uh, siguro, kasi nandito na tayo gusto mo salita ko sa English. Talaga? Okay. I guess I can speak in English, huh? <laughs> that would help some of you. There's a couple of people up here that know what I'm saying. It's interesting in the Philippines. I like to call it the Tower of Babel for the modern times. Why? There are over a hundred languages spoken there. What I was speaking for you was called Tagalog, often referred to as a national language, although really it's Filipino as a national language. It's just that Tagalog and Filipino are the same. Now you take people like Charmaine and my wife, Marilyn there, they grew up speaking multiple languages because the other national language in the Philippines is English. Okay? So automatically, if they grow up and go to school, they speak two languages. Okay? If you're like my wife and you come from the Visayan regions, you may know up to four languages because she speaks also Ilongo and Cebuano. And then if you travel to other parts of the country, then she learned to speak Kapapangan. So she's really a polygot. So someone who speaks like five languages is a polygot, right? Someone who speaks three languages is trilingual, right? My daughter and myself are basically, we speak two languages, so we're bilingual. So what do you call someone who speaks one language? An American. <laughs> that is the truth. And unfortunately, Americans are that way over there, so you really have to learn a different way when you live in another country. Before I get started with uh, our, my presentation, I would like to pray, so if you would pray with me. Most gracious and heavenly Father, we thank you so much. You have allowed us to come here and to present the work that you have provided for in the Philippines. So, Father, I ask that uh, you use this humble servant before you and let the Holy Spirit speak through me and not let it be my words, but let them hear the Holy Spirit's words. In Jesus' name, amen. I promised I would tell a little story that happened just before we were coming here. And I don't know if anybody's ever heard of David Gates or Gospel Ministries International or anything like that. But that is the worldwide global organization that we work under. And in the group there in the Philippines, it's called Philippine Adventist Medical Aviation Service. What that means is we use airplanes and medical to open up the door so the word of Jesus can get in. Okay? The people who run this in the Philippines are called Dwayne and Wendy. And Dwayne and Wendy Harris, uh, very close friends of ours. Uh, we love them dearly. There's an amazing thing that happened. If you ever meet Dwayne, you'll understand why this happened. He's the, the, the ultimate Christian. No matter who he sees that needs help, he's going to help them. It just doesn't matter. He doesn't care. He doesn't even think about it. He's just going to help them. They had recently opened up a project in the north, in the Cagayan Valley area. You may not know where that is. Some of you will, maybe. 
And there is an Adventist hospital up there called the Cagayan Valley Sanitarium. Well, we always incorporate medical in everything we do, so they work in conjunction with the hospital. And we take them to remote areas and work with tribal people and things like that. Well, in this neighborhood he was living in, what we did not know is it's dangerous. It's a small town, and usually small towns, especially in the Philippines, are very friendly, very open. You know, you don't have to worry about anything. They were having robberies in the neighborhood. So, one day, some of the people living there came knocking on Dwayne's door and said, we need help. There are two robbers in this house, and we know they're in there. Without hesitation, he runs out there and goes to help them. Now, I got this story from bits and pieces, and I'm hoping I'm going to get most of the details right. But this part I know. As they went there, there's a crowd outside the house. They're ready to uh, you know, string up these robbers. They're tired of this in this neighborhood. So Dwayne is trying to head off a disaster. <laughs> so he's actually going to maybe even save these robbers' lives, you know. So he goes to get them. Well, they climb up on the roof. In the Philippines, houses can be as close together as five feet. I mean, you can almost step from roof to roof. And that's what these robbers started doing. They're running down the roof. They get down to the end of the block, and Dwayne is running down the street. So he rounds the corner, and as he does, there's a robber standing there with a revolver. Shoots him. Dwayne already has momentum, and he runs right into this guy and tackles him. As the wrestling on the ground, Dwayne gets shot again. He somehow or another gets the gun away from this guy, and he's trying to hold him. He had already told one of his friends to call the police. The police were on their way. This was actually unique in the Philippines because that doesn't necessarily happen either. But they did, I guess because they knew Dwayne. He's starting to lose his strength now, so he's asking some of the other people from the neighborhood to help him. So they're going to hold him down. Well, they decide they're not just going to hold him down. They have sticks. They start beating this robber. Dwayne's yelling at them, don't hurt him, don't hurt him, just hold him. Okay. So Dwayne gets up, goes to the vehicle. The other guy, his friend, also a friend of mine, Bob, by the way, Bob Roberts, he is, not Bob Roberts, anyway, anyway, Bob is his name. He's a paramedic, just happens to be there, happens to come in on a two-month mission trip. Just the first of many miracles to come. They drive to the hospital, Amazingly enough, you know, the hospital is, doesn't always have all the specialties you need. It's a remote country hospital. Well, they have a surgeon there. It turns out that day they were having a conference, and they invited many doctors from, from the surrounding areas to come for this conference. Dwayne goes into surgery. A guy who was on his way to the hospital happened to be a doctor who was an ear, nose, throat specialist, and Dwayne got shot in the face. Had started his drive an hour before Dwayne got shot, and by the time Dwayne was in surgery, he was only 30 minutes out, and when he came into the hospital, they rushed him straight in. There was a pulmonary specialist who was also at the conference who would not normally have been there. Dwayne got shot in the chest, and it nicked his lungs. All of this was the right people at the right time in the right place to save his life. 
And within two days, well, within a week, he was out of the hospital. The hospital people found them a new place to stay so that they wouldn't have to face that danger anymore. Now, Dwayne had learned to fly helicopters in the Army. So when I met him, I mean, when I talked to him again, I happened to be in the U.S., and he called me from the Philippines. I said, Dwayne, I know you were in the Army, and I understand all this, but please, for the love of God, the next time somebody points a gun at you, go the other way. <laughs> You're not in the Army anymore. Oh, by the way, one of the first things Dwayne did when he could get out so he went to visit the robber and pray with him. That's Dwayne. I hope you get to see him. I don't know if they're going to arrange for him to speak here. But you can understand why he's a really close friend of mine. But that's Thomas. I did not get any pictures of him in the presentation. I'm sorry. That is the helicopter he flies in the Philippines. And that is uh, him, I believe, flying helicopter. I'm not for sure. But... Uh, Dwayne's a great guy, and we love working with him, and we love the medical outreach, and I'm going to tell you a few more stories as we go. I've been giving a cutoff time, so I'm going to try my best to meet it, because there's a lot going on there, and I hope that we can uh, learn this. Why aviation? Okay. Well, if you know anything about history of aviation, and I'm an aviation major, so I know all about the history of aviation, <laughs> you can understand that in the 20th century... Aviation changed the way the world works. It really has. Uh, from, especially from World War II on, all commerce is based on it. I mean, yes, we bring things by trucks, by trains, but more and more, most things are brought by airplanes, okay? including the Word of God. The Adventist Church started doing this, of course, in the 50s. The Adventist Church, however, no longer does this. Only supporting ministries such as AWA and PAMAS or GMI. And there are a few other smaller people out there who do it, like have their own airplane, and I know some of these people that do this. But when you get into areas such as the Philippines where you have 7,000 islands, the only way to get the word safely in some cases to some of these smaller islands is by aircraft, and that's what we do. Uh, aviation, uh, a millennia ago, you know, King David cried out, Oh, that I had the wings of a dove. This is in Psalms 55, 6. You know. And, of course, David, I don't know if he foresaw what was going to come or if he foresaw what we would be doing, but the idea was the same. Okay, How can we get this? Well, we work as a team. We work as a team on the medical. We work as a team uh, with Bible workers. We work as a team with the aircraft. We work hand-in-hand with the conferences. Uh, Over there, they call them missions, uh, if they're not self-supporting, but they're like a conference. We work with uh, the unions. We all work together for the same goal, and that's to spread the word of Christ. And that's what we're trying to do there. Uh, The mission of this organization, PAMAS, is very basic in its concept. We use medical services and transportation services to bring gospel workers and to bring the light of Jesus to those who need it. These can include pastors, laymen, medical professionals, Bible workers, supporting ministry. We work closely with Adventist Frontiers Missions, Philippines Frontiers Missions, uh, Layman's Ministries International, things like that. Uh, The hospitals. 
There's a group there called Light Ministries, and they do a wonderful work of teaching. They will spend a month, say like I came here to your church, they would spend a month teaching this church how to work in the community. And it's amazing how well things work afterwards. They work only in the Philippines, though. <laughs> Unless you want to pay for them to come here, then they'll come here. Uh, but they all have one thing in common. We want to bring the light of Jesus to the world. I want you to focus on this bottom right-hand picture. I'm going to tell you a story here in a minute. But you remember you saw that picture. That is a school. We have multifunctional capability. And that's just a fancy way of saying we do a lot of different things. Okay? Uh, we can bring transportation directly to the site. People, cargo, medicines. Uh, we can take them to either directly there or we can drop them off close to where they're going. Sometimes their option would be to sit in a small boat. This is these little outrigger boats traveling over the Sulu Sea or the Philippine Sea for 14, 15, 16 hours. And it's just not fun. I've done it, <laughs> but I didn't enjoy it. Uh, there were places I will go. There's places I won't go. It gets really dangerous. What if we can't get there? They need medicine. Well, we have the capability to airdrop them. Easy, open up the door, drop it out. And it works surprisingly well with certain things. Uh, we're finding that things like in glass jars don't work out so well, but uh, other things work really well. Um, and this has saved some missionaries' lives from time to time with medicine. And that's honestly what we do is more about the frontier missionaries than us actually bringing the light. You know, I, I don't generally I don't go and preach, although I have done evangelism, I have preached a lot of times. But I'm not doing it in the frontier locations. We have frontier missionaries trained to do that. I'm trying to get them there. You know, we're the logistic services behind the scenes. And, and we were talking about this in Sabbath school this morning, the supporting roles. That's what we're doing. Okay. Um, I'm not the pastor. I'm not the uh, frontier missionary. I'm not the guy in the jungle hut. You know, learning the tribal languages teaching the schools and running the clinics. You know, I, I drive the airplane or the truck or the car, whatever is needed. You know? The frontier missionaries live in these jungle areas for five, six, seven years teaching this stuff to the tribal people because it just takes that long. You have to change the way you teach it. You, know? you have to learn the languages of where you're at. You have to learn the culture. You have to live like them. And then after about a year or so, they will accept you. Then they'll start listening. So we're more behind the scenes. But we do get to go to these places, and we do get to see things like this. This is in Palawan. Um, that was our main area. And this area is called Sakpangan. And they have Tagbangwa tribal people there. And actually, Charmaine was in this area once. What we were doing is they had been working the areas for a long time. Okay, so it was time to bring in a local pastor. So we brought them in. 
we set it up, and this was one of those times where I got to stay and watch everything. And Marilyn and I, and even my daughter was there for a little while. We were living in these grass huts for 10 days. And I was trying to work behind the scenes, helping out the medical effort. My wife was actually helping out directly on the, on the medical side because she's a CNA. And this pastor, he got to do the, the things every night. He was preaching to them every night. You know? And the result, of course, was this baptism. They always do this in the ocean. One of my favorite pictures, because after they baptize them, they will bring them up to the shore, and they will kneel like that, and he will pray over them. And it was just a beautiful, beautiful scene. I loved it. They had done some minor surgeries. They had done some, uh, some dental stuff, you know. And all of these things always help out. Tai Tai was another place, and there's my wife once again. She gets surrounded. Sometimes when you go into these villages, you don't have facilities. So you kind of set up a table and a chair underneath a tree, and they just come as a big crowd all around, you know. And somehow you, you have to get their names and call their names and get them in the right place. You know, that's just the only way to organize it. But that's what they do. And it works. These people start listening to God after you do this stuff, you know. It really paves the way. It's wonderful stuff. This is in Beron. And also in Palawan. We were in Palawan for three years. Palawan is one of the provinces there. It's a one long island. Beautiful, beautiful island. It's a resort area. They call it the last frontier because it's not built up. They really only have one decent-sized city, and uh, everything else is really small, and there's still a lot of tribal groups there. Still have these, these islands surrounding it, these smaller islands that are really remote and hard to get to, and that's where we fly the plane to, so these are little islands. Okay. Here is one of these frontier mission groups I was telling you about, um, and those are three of them right there. And it's called Philippine Frontiers Mission. They're the sister arm of Adventist Frontiers Mission. And they have about four projects in Palawan area, uh, close to 20 Philippines wide, working in all these remote areas. They will not go into any area where anybody else is working. They only go into unreached areas that have never heard the name of Jesus Christ. And it is amazing. You can't walk down the streets in the U.S. and say, you know, have you heard of Jesus? And hear somebody say, no, everybody's heard of Jesus. But there are over a million people there in the Philippines who've never heard this name. It's amazing. This is one of the places where we went. Uh, challenges of the Philippines. Okay. Said there was over 7,000 islands, right? 191 languages. Believe it or not, they've had 500 years of Christian experience. The Philippines was ruled by the Spanish for over 400 years. But they only worked in the cities. <laughs> they didn't go into the outlying areas. It's a Catholic nation, 70% Catholicism there, mostly in the cities. The Adventist Church has a large presence there, uh, maybe 700,000. Okay. There are schools everywhere. They love the schools. High schools everywhere. My daughter graduated from a Philippine Adventist Day Academy there. And then she's going to a Philippine college there, Adventist school in Mindanao. Okay? They have all that. But the outlying areas are still where it's a hard, hard way to go. And that's where we're focusing our efforts. Um, 
68 groups with a Bible-based church, 100 plus unreached people groups. People groups are like a culture or, yeah, like it, almost like a different race. You know? Over there, they're all Filipino, but they're all different. They're all tribal groups. Okay? Out of that, they're, they're guessing there's 10 plus million tribal people. It's a little harder to work with the tribal people, mainly because most of them are animist. And if you have any idea what that is, they believe that inanimate objects have a spirit in them. Okay? And they don't so much worship these spirits as they try to appease them, to keep them from harming them. They truly believe that these spirits will harm them if you don't do the right things. If you don't wear the right amulet, if you don't wear the right armband, if you don't practice the right uh, rituals and things like that. Okay? They still have witch doctors. Uh, witchcraft is practiced in these areas. Sorcery, things like that. It's very, very... It can be dangerous for some of these missionaries. I like to tell people, you know, we're handing out this book called The uh, Great Hope, which is the condensed version of The Great Controversy. Read that book. If there's anybody that you know that hasn't read The Great Controversy, first make sure you've read it. And then make sure they've read it. The reason being, we have seen The Great Controversy live and in color. It's real. It's there. This is Satan's territory. He makes sure that these people are in danger so that he can enforce his hold on them. Okay, They won't leave their villages because... They know the spirits in their village, but they may not know the spirits in that village over there, so they don't know how to appease them. So they won't go, and they can't learn. We have to go to them. Okay? They live their lives in fear every single day. And Satan does injure them and kill them and make them sick so that they cannot learn. And then when our missionaries go in there, he starts attacking them. This is the great controversy. Everything you read in that book is real. Okay? And if you don't believe how this is all going to get played out, read that book, compare it to the Bible, and you will find it true. Yes, please hand out these books. Get it to as many people as you can. It's very important. Um, we do inter-island personnel transport. Wh- whoever it is, it could be doctors, nurses, uh, medical technicians, could be pastors, Bible workers, whoever needs to go, if they're going there, I'll take government people there if they're providing care for the people. Because that's what we're there to do. Provide for their physical care. Once we provide for their physical care, then they become open to the spiritual side. And that's our job. We airdrop food, medicine, other supplies, whatever it is to keep them alive. This is how we get it. Why? Well, you just heard uh, Sam read this. Then I saw another angel flying in midair. He had the eternal gospel to proclaim to those living in the earth, every nation, tribe, language, and people. Right? Now I'm going to talk about something that may be a little controversial to some. Uh, We have areas where we focus on Muslims. There are a lot of Muslims in the Philippines. The Muslims in the Philippines are much more peaceful and open, but they have a problem. Just like Christianity, 
Very few people read the Bible, right? I mean, really read the Bible. Sometimes I read a few verses here and there, you know, but I mean, study the Bible. Same thing in the Quran. They don't read it. Well, they have another problem. Satan is really good at what he does. Do not doubt this. They push from the higher-ups that the only Quran you can read is Arabic. Well, maybe 10% of the Muslim community is Arabic. Okay? Most of them are Asians. Most Muslims are Asian, from Asia. Something very few people know. Okay? We're actually in the area where most of the Muslims are in that part of Asia. You know? Indonesia, Malaysia, uh, those, those countries. You know? So, what happens? They don't understand, and the only thing they can get is what is taught to them by the imams. Sound familiar? Those of you who maybe have come from other churches may know this. Uh, I became an Adventist when I was 38. The only thing I knew, I didn't really go to church as much, is what people told me. I had to accept what they said. Come to find out, they were all wrong. Same thing in Islam. It's all wrong. We have people working there who know the Quran better than most of the imams. So what do they do? They go into these communities. We do medical outreaches. We have been doing medical outreaches for two years straight in this area. And that means, you know, us, you know, we're bringing people down, we're bringing them back up to the airport, you know, it's, it's, it's about a four or five hour uh, transportation, you know. So we bring them back and forth, and they work in those areas. Now, now, Maryland had a chance to go into these areas, and health is a major concern. She had an 18-year-old patient that had high blood pressure. Okay? It's the foods they eat, and of course, drinking and smoking. Now, Muslims aren't supposed to drink, right? No, they're not. Not supposed to practice witchcraft either, but we're finding that too. So what's happening, they just get this false image of what they're supposed to do, and they're being told that they're not supposed to read the Bible. Well, the Quran tells them, actually, if you read the Quran, it says to read the Holy Bible. The Quran also tells them that they're supposed to learn who Isis is, Jesus. The Quran also tells them that Isis will bring judgment. But it doesn't tell them what judgment is or how it's going to work. Who teaches judgment in end-time events? We do. The Adventist Church is one of the few Protestant religions or any Christianity that teaches judgment and end-time events. <laughs> That's happened to me up here, so don't feel too bad. <laughs> so, they're starting to reach out to Adventists. Now, in the Philippines, a Muslim, when he thinks of Christianity, he thinks of Catholics who eat pork, drink wine, other liquor, smoke, so they don't like Christians. Our Adventist missionaries who are working these areas, guess what? They don't drink, they don't smoke, they don't use caffeine. Very health conscious. Some of them are told that they're better Muslims than the Muslims. So I was taught when I fly into these areas that I will say, if they ask me if I'm Christian, I will say, I am, yes, a Christian. I am an Adventist. I don't eat pork and I don't drink. And we're accepted. And they're reaching out to the Adventist church. So what has been the result of this? Last year, they baptized nine people after all these medical programs. And then we brought in this guy named Ronnie DeVera, who is an expert in Muslim relations and can dress the part and can speak Arabic and all this stuff. He's a Filipino. 
but he worked in the area so much. Three of those people were professed Muslims. Something I've not heard anywhere else. Nowhere else in the Philippines. God is providing a way. Remember I told you to remember that picture. Those were those girls who were in a marching band. Okay? This was on a little island. It's closer to Malaysia than it is to the Philippines. So it's all Muslim. If you go into little stores there, you will see Arabic writing on some of the food. Okay? There is a school there amongst this totally Muslim population is being taught by Adventists. It's being supported by a nurse professor out of Loma Linda, and she goes there, and I fly her back and forth whenever I can. And here's the most amazing thing. They had 151 students last year. These Muslim people are sending their children to our Adventist schools. It's now the third generation and now they have a little place they call the Mapun Adventist Center. Not called a church yet, but it's the Mapun Adventist Center. We were there and we were taking pictures of these Muslim kids singing Christian hymns, praying in the name of Jesus, and reading scripture. It works. God is really, really good. These three angels represent the people who accept the light of God's messages and go forth as his agents to sound the warning throughout the length and breadth of the earth. How does this tie into today's Sabbath school lesson? Okay. Have you accepted the light of Jesus? That means now you can be his agents to go forth and spread this light, right? Kind of makes us all angels. You notice it doesn't say pastors or elders or deacons or anything like that. It says those who accept this light. We're all responsible for this, right? It's all, it's all very good. Uh, that's one of my pet peeves, though. I like to teach that everybody in the church has a role. Everybody has a role to do. And we should all do this. How are lives impacted? People are changed because illness is changed to health. And this... It was the key. This is what Sister White taught for all of our hospitals, right? We use this. People are changed because despair is changed to hope. What was our theme last year? Uh, hope, hope, uh, hope impact, right? Hope impact. Medical teams can now reach locations where they would not otherwise go to. We can take them to these little islands where these, these people are sitting on, these little fishing villages and stuff, and they can see a doctor for the first time in their life or a dentist for the first time in their lives. You know? Pastors have now reached islands they cannot otherwise get to. Frontier missionary teams can now incorporate into their plans, their long-range plans, how to get to some of these places that they couldn't get to otherwise. Uh, the, the unions, the conferences, they're also starting to plan these places that they can go to now that they could not go to before. Okay? People are being taught about Jesus who never otherwise heard of him. That is the end product. That is our final goal. Okay? Remember, we don't convert. We teach. Our job is to teach. Okay? Then God will provide a way to reach. Okay? The Holy Spirit is the one who converts. The church is now planning these work on these islands. I had a union president 
seemed like he was ready to jump up and down when I was telling him, I can fly you to that island. He had been wanting to go there for 20 years. This is the hope. And the hope just is, of course, even into the people that we're getting to. The hope is in the people who are wanting to do the work. Okay? So what is our next place that we're going to go to? This place is called Mountain View College. Valencia City, Bukidnon. It's in Mindanao. Okay. We've had a university there since 1950, something like that. Many years ago, the General Conference put an airplane in this location. Why? Why would you put an airplane at a college campus? It wasn't to teach people to fly, believe it or not. They had another goal. Along with this college campus, we have something called the Sulads. Now, imagine the Sulads. The acronym actually stands for something, and for the life of me, I can't remember what it means. But it's in another language anyway. It's not even in the main language. It's in a, a tribal language. It doesn't mean a whole lot to anyway. But what it is is student missionaries. Students have been working in this program since the 60s or 70s. I can't really remember. There's actually a website. If you start doing some research about Sulads on the web, you will find them. They have a U.S. website and a Philippine website. And here's their goal. They take education and theology students, and they take them out to these very, very remote mountaintops and villages and things like that. Well, they used to be able to do it with an airplane operated by the General Conference. The General Conference got out of that business for a lot of reasons. So now, like I said, only the supporting ministries will operate the aircraft. Liability was a big issue. So what they want is another airplane to go there and start flying these Sulad missionaries out into these areas. You know, they now have what was the last in, in, induction ceremony? 151? Yeah, 151 students. For a year or two, they go out. You have some that are permanent, that are now supervisors. Ronnie DeVera, the one I mentioned about the, uh, the Muslim expert, he is a Sulad supervisor. He works in a very dangerous area. He works with pirates, believe it or not. It's crazy. But... He wants to see an airplane, too, because he wants to be able to fly him back and forth in and out of this area when he needs to get out. And it, it comes up. Uh, we could not get into that area before. And last year, we were in Kazan, so another province up in the north. We got a phone call. These student missionaries were down south working, and three of them got deathly ill. Uh, malaria... Uh, what was the other one? The one that was almost dying. Dengue fever? Dengue fever. Okay, stuff like this. These missionaries go into these areas, and it's disease-infested, of course, you know. God usually protects them. But one of the things we want to be able to do is be able to do a medical evacuation. And we couldn't this time. The guide finally got out by taking a 28-hour boat ride. Uh, it was very dangerous. He almost died. But we want to be able to transport these people back and forth to all of these areas. They've been begging for an airplane for years. So that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to build up. Uh, we've got the area down south in Palawan. We've got the area up north in Cagayan Valley. So, um, we're going to be trying to get uh, some more helicopters, 
and a couple more fixed-wing airplanes. The good news is we've just paid halfway down on one fixed-wing airplane, so it's going to help out a little bit, but we need another one. And then we can start operating this mission. Okay. And Charmaine Bell and Jeff Bell are supposed to be going there with us. So we can be flying this airplane, fly these missionaries. By the way, some of these students end up, the, like I said, they go for a year or two, and then they come back and they finish their degree. Some of those students, after they finish their degree, they go right back home. They love the mission that much. And it's a dangerous one. This is the Sulad campus, and this is on the main campus of the college, and, but they have their own building, and they have their own training classrooms. So that They train all summer long. So their summer break is gone. And then as soon as they get done with this training, I think they get a week off, maybe, I don't know, and then off they go into the mountaintops, okay? By the way, that was Felicia up in that top right picture. This is the places they work in. <laughs> As you can see, it's not what we're used to. <laughs> the fact that that building over there called the Learning Center actually has wooden boards on the side is kind of advanced. Normally, it's bamboo and grass up in these mountain villages. It's really hard for them. Then, our goal is we will provide the aviation and some medical outreach support. Now, the college just recently purchased a hospital, so they're probably going to take over most of the medical stuff. We'll just transport them, and we'll work hand-in-hand with them, okay? Uh, the runway will be on campus. They used to have a runway. They said that we can open up a runway again. They're going to provide the equipment and everything. So The runway is going to be there. That's not going to be a problem. That'll take a few months. Uh, we'll have one aircraft base there. We really don't expect a need for another aircraft if it comes up. Hopefully we can bring one from up north down. We're putting a twin-engine airplane into the country to handle some of the long-range stuff and some of the heavier loads. Until we get that aircraft, we'll operate with the aircraft on the north. And the aircraft is designed to work in the jungle environment. Jeff has done a lot of research on this. Thinks he has the perfect airplane for it. How do we get there? Uh, my wife and daughter are going to hand out for you kind of like a newsletter, a little magazine, stuff like that. In it, you're going to see stories from all around the Philippines. Okay? And it's going to talk about what we do and how we got there. Please take these things home with you. They're going to try to, we only were able to print out 40 of these things because they are expensive. Uh, for a missionary budget, they're expensive. <laughs> but um, take them home, read them. Pray for all of these projects in there. If you never do anything else for us, if you pray for us, you will have done more than you can possibly imagine. So if you guys have prayer lists at home, pray for us. Have prayer lists at church, pray for us. Pray for all the work that's going on there. It's really needed. Uh here is the airplane I was flying. That's going to be changed. I'm not going to fly that airplane anymore. Um, but these are some Philippine frontier missionaries that I took up north. And these, I always put the kids up there. These are families that still have eight, nine, ten children. 
And why do they have that many? Because not all of them make it. We're trying to change that with health and nutrition. Okay. Uh, in the cities, the infant mortality rate is similar to the U.S. Up in the jungles, it's a lot closer to 1700s. So, a little hard. Here is a school on a tiny island known as Coron. And it's an elementary school. The school is so popular that on the little surrounding islands, they will send their kids to this elementary school. They can't go back and forth, so they actually had to set up like a little dormitory in this little shack just for the kids to sleep in during the week. And they go home on the weekends. Elementary kids. Here's another island known as... Uh, now, no, I'm not boarding all those people on that little airplane. But anywhere there's a shade, they will get underneath it, you know. And when this airplane comes in, people come out of the jungles. They want to see what it is. They want to see what we're bringing, who we're bringing, stuff like that. It's really popular. I have fun with it, except that i got to keep them away from the front of the airplane. This guy, Dr. Imperial, okay, he was actually working outside. It's hard for you to tell. But for a dentist, it's really hard to work inside because there's no electricity in a lot of these places. So there's no light. So he has to work outside so he can have the sunlight shine inside their mouth. So he can see. It's hot work. But he was a good man. Did a lot for us. And as I said, we're usually working outside. There's a can't remember her name. Anyway, she was from one of the hospitals there, and she's doing some patient screening for the dentist. But this is the end result. This is what we're trying to get to. This was done on an island of Cagliancilio. And yes, sometimes a word works that quickly, but actually what happened was there's so much work had been going for so long, they just didn't get a pastor there. So when we could finally fly a pastor to this island, he had this many people waiting to be baptized. Last count, there are 60 people waiting for baptism again on that same island. Just need to get back there and get somebody over there. We had it set up almost before I left. The pastor got called to another area. Then we had a problem with the airplane, so didn't make it this time around. But what they have is... um, I'm trying to remember the group. There's these groups that will uh, will sponsor these theology graduates, and they'll go in and work as interns in these areas for like a year or two. And they do Bible studies on top of Bible studies on top of Bible studies. And then when they can finally get in an ordained pastor to come in, he'll come in and do the baptisms. You know? But I just can't remember the name of that group. No, it wasn't Layman's. can't remember. Layman's ministry does work on Mindoro. There's a lot of supporting ministries doing a lot of work in a lot of different areas. Okay? The important thing is that they have to get to where they need to go. And then sometimes they have to come out for medical reasons and things like that. You know, People get sick. When you're working day in and day out, with these sick people, anybody who's in the medical field will tell you, you get sick. 
Okay? You catch some of their stuff, you know, even when you work really hard not to. And in these type conditions, it's really hard to keep a sterile, sterile environment, um, keep yourself, you know, your hands washed and stuff like that. That's really hard. You go into places that don't have running water and stuff, so they get sick and they need to get evacuated. So that's one of the biggest reasons why we like to have an airplane ready at all times so we can go in and get these people out. But every little thing we do, every motive that we have is just that right there, to tell them about Jesus. And that's what it's all about. Because whether they're sick or they're poor or they're dying, whatever, Jesus said they will always be here. But we want the day to come when there will be no more sickness or dying or crying or any of these other things. And the only way that's going to happen is if they hear about Jesus. So that's what we want to do more than anything else. So pray for us. Help where you can. Um, and just think about the work. I often feel that people get the impression that missionary work is not going on anymore. So one of our biggest goals when we come back on furlough it's just to tell you that, hey, yeah, we're still out there working. Not as many as it used to be. We would like to have as many as we used to be. For the youth and the teenagers and anybody you know still interested in doing this type of work, there are agencies where you can do this type of work. No matter what your skill set is, there's something you can do. You know, you can paint a school. You know, you can hang up shingles, you know. Maybe you can fly an airplane. Maybe you can help patients. Maybe you can carry one of these into somebody's home and teach them. Everybody has a skill set. It doesn't take much. But it does take people. By the way, the plan of salvation, God gave us through Jesus Christ, right? But the other part of that equation is us. We have to be part of that plan. God mandated it to be that way. Let's bow our heads. Father in heaven, I thank you so much for the opportunity to present your message to the people who need it the most. Father, as with all of these times, we want to find it within our hearts to be your servant. No matter what our titles, the most important one can be your servant. So, Father, I ask you fill us with your Holy Spirit, give us a zeal and a desire to go out and spread your word throughout the community here, throughout the state of Wisconsin, throughout the United States and the world. Father, bless us with all of our endeavors and keep us focused on you in heaven at all times. In Jesus' name, amen.